You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, and thanks for subscribing to the Premium Podcast. Just a quick note about it. We've made a couple enhancements to the podcast. One thing you're going to notice is on whatever device you're using to listen to the premium podcast from My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, you should have noticed that the feed is increased. So you're going to see about 50 different items there. So you're going to see items dating back all the way to really June when we started building content for the premium podcast and September when it really launched. If you go to the page at www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpoliticspremium.com slash members, Go there because you're going to see a few features, one of which is bonus episodes. So this is a page that only will list the episodes that premium members get that no one else has ever seen or listened to. See, some of the things you get on the premium are archived episodes, so it's possible that someone subscribing to the regular My History Could Beat Up Your Politics might have listened to it, albeit three years ago or so. But these bonus episodes are just for premium subscribers, and they're all in one place there. So check that out. Having said that, this is indeed a bonus episode. I'm going to talk a little bit more about my interview with David Priest, the CIA intelligence officer and the author of the President's Book of Secrets. First of all, and I think we said it on the episode, but I just wanted to kind of say more about it. Priest is not just a person that we're interviewing. He is a longtime listener to My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, and sent me his book um, when it was in the galley stage. So I got an early chance to comment on it. And also, I found it very useful for the Ronald Reagan uh, podcast series that I was embarking on. I'm going to talk a little bit about Reagan and his use of presidential briefings today. But we kind of just jumped right into the subject of the PDB, the President's Daily Briefing that comes from the CIA and is compiled by CIA intelligence officers and analysts and also does consolidate some of the other branches' information in there. But we just kind of leaped right into it, and I think that uh, it's probably worthy of more of a discussion as to what it really is. It's a book. And it can be read by a person, it can be looked at, it can be read on an iPad, it can be a three-ring binder. You know, between George W. Bush and President Obama, it went from three-ring binder to iPad, which I think is really an interesting technological development. Uh, We don't know what form it's being delivered in Trump. It's not something that's disclosed. But we can assume that it's being generated. The president descends from the residence to the Oval Office to start his morning. After quickly reviewing the day's agenda with the chief of staff, he sits down and invites his national security advisor in, who tells him that no crises have developed around the globe overnight. A few minutes later, his secretary pokes her head in. Mr. President, your briefer is here. He leans back, takes a deep breath, and says, All right, let's go. 
the next appointment rarely brings good news. His visitor walks in looking like she's been awake half the night. She has, in fact. Her day started when most people have just gone to bed. Since getting to work at CIA headquarters just before 2 a.m., she has looked at late-breaking raw intelligence reports, studied each analytic assessment in the package now sitting securely in her locked bag, and spoken with analysts from some of the 17 organizations within the federal government that make up the intelligence community who wrote those assessments. That way, she could learn about any related classified stories that hadn't made it into the ultimate text because of the gauntlet of reviewers and editors. Opening the locked bag while she moves towards the desk, she reaches in and looks up at the commander-in-chief. Good morning, Mr. President. Here's your PDB. The President's daily brief contains the most sensitive intelligence reporting and analysis in the world. The CIA spies, the National Security Agency's listening post, the nation's reconnaissance satellites gather secret for it, while America's enemies sent undercover agents to try to unearth its classified content. Every working morning, intelligence briefers fan out from CIA headquarters to personally deliver copies of the PDB to the president and the handful of senior advisors he is designated to see its top-secret pages. No major foreign policy decisions are made without it. For the past 50 years, intelligence officers have made their way to the White House five or six days a week to hand-deliver the PDB to the president or, in some administrations, to the National Security Advisor who then gets it to the president. I'm reading from David Priest's The President's Book of Secrets. At CII.gov, and I've also included a link to this at www.myhistorycanbeatupyourpolitics.com, you can see some declassified PDBs. And I'm looking right now at the PDB from 1977. Now, this is Gerald Ford's last day. They didn't back down on the job just because it was Gerald Ford's last day as president, and Jimmy Carter was coming in. Here's what you see. It's a little bit of a table of contents of just a few items, about four items, typewritten, with little summaries even in the table of contents so the president can decide whether he even wants to go there. The events of the past two days have seriously eroded President Sadat's image at home, page one. Cyprus President Marchios has agreed to, tea, to talks with Turkey's Cypriot leader to draw up guidelines, page two. West Germany and France. I can't even see that one because that part's still classified. You go in to the next page, and on the right side, there's typewritten data. Few paragraphs, not many, a lot of white space. And on the left side, there is a one quick sentence in italic font. This is done using a typewriter and old kind of tab return functions. One side is the fact of what happened. The other side is the analysis. So it'll be something like, Soviet President Pogorny uh, plans visit to India within the next couple of months. That's a fact. The analysis. The USSR may be seeking reassurances that Gandhi's recent criticism of leftists in her own party and the pro-Moscow Communist Party of India are not a reflection of deterioration of Soviet-India relations. So you see there, that's how it works. And I think one of the things that David talked about on the program is that analysis is opinion. It is predictions. It can be right. It can be wrong. The agency makes no claim that their information is all right, always right. It does not think that it is directing the president. It makes an, a very aggressive attempt to make sure that the president 
is using, is a good customer of the information, and convert and 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 also that they are updating the PDB to match the feedback that the the feedback that the administration's giving them. But it should never be seen as the CIA controlling the president or limiting the decisions to just a few. It's never been that way, and that would be pretty much laughed off by most White Houses. But that's what it is. It's facts as best they know it from the best intelligence agency in the world and analysis of what those facts may mean. It was 1980, and after a meeting at Blair House, Vice President George H.W. Bush, back then we just called him George Bush, and President-elect Ronald Reagan were riding out to Andrews Air Force Base. Reagan was going back to California, not president yet. He made the suggestion to his soon-to-be boss, President-elect Ronald Reagan, that he make a point of taking advantage of the CIA information and reading that PDB every single day. Bush had been the director of central intelligence under Nixon. That talk worked as Ed Meese informed the CIA that after the discussion between Bush and Reagan on the plane, the president-elect expected to see the PDB and an agent briefing him the next morning in California. Dick Kerr did it. He got out on the plane and did the first briefing, and then he would brief the president-elect throughout till the beginning of his presidency. Dick Kerr was an agent with decades of experience. Between November and January, Reagan received over a dozen briefings from the CIA. The agents were sure to observe what the president said or did regarding the briefing, what questions he asked, what kind of things he seemed to be interested in, what kind of notes he needed. And the agencies began to size up their customer. They always call the president within the CIA the customer a bit. Now, they wouldn't do this in a gossipy way. One of the things that Kerr made really clear, if the president said something like, I don't like this senator. Oh, I don't like Al Haig very much. That was not the kind of stuff they recorded or reported, not even to their bosses. Briefers don't do that. At least that's what they said. But we don't know of that happening. And Reagan became an avid customer of the PDB. We, we won over Dick Allen, the National Security Advisor. Um, indeed, on the day of his assassination, um, both Bush, Vice President, and Reagan had been attending a briefing. And then Bush went off to Texas, and Reagan went to the Hilton for the labor speech. After he was shot, Baker, James Baker, the chief of staff, and George Bush, who had come back from Texas, took the intelligence briefings as Reagan was too ill. He tried to resume his duties during the hospital, but Reagan was seriously injured. Um, here's a story. There's something else to note. Uh, we've, we were just talking in this story about how Reagan used the PDB when he was president-elect and in the early part of his presidency. But you know, once Reagan was put into the presidency, just like you have a CIA director now, Mike Pompeo, uh, Bob Casey was named CIA director under Reagan. His procedures regarding the PBD are interesting, and David Priest covers it in his book and gives you some idea about the relationship between Casey and Reagan. That's always been something that's looked at by historians. Um, Casey really had an aggressive attitude towards intelligence, really thought he knew what was going on in the world and wanted to influence his view. So his process is he would read 
the PBD every day, not get a briefer. And he did not want to see the briefers before they went to the president, and he did not want to sign off on the book. But he did see them every day after they saw the president and wanted to get their feedback as CIA director on what the president and other people around him thought. There's been some talk that Casey and Reagan were really close, but Robert Gates, who later became Defense Secretary in various administrations, uh, said the relationship wasn't close. Casey might have pushed his views, too, through these sessions with the briefers, politicized statements. He was someone who was more active in cabinet meetings and other meetings in the White House than other intelligence officials, members of the intelligence community normally are. Casey wasn't just someone who presented the objective facts, and that comes out in David Grease's book. He did use those sessions with briefers to look at the content. And sometimes he would send private messages to President Reagan through this PBD. It's interesting. I think you see this. This is why there's such sacredness about what the briefers do and not wanting to use this channel. Obviously, they can't say no to their CIA director. Because you see how important it is. It's hard to get through to a president. And on David's book, he has all kinds of <laughs> examples of little notes being dropped to the president through this system. Dick Allen, his national security advisor, was dining with his wife and seven children before they went to bed. He recalled one of them asking how President Reagan looked. He's fine, Allen said. He's getting along well. In fact, I'm going to see him privately on Wednesday morning. His youngest daughter, Kim, was in kindergarten. With a look of awe, she said, you are? Yes, Allen said. I'm going to give him his briefing. The conversation ended there the kids having little idea what he even meant by a briefing. In fact, he got, he forgot about that exchange entirely until the following night when he returned home to find Kim pulling something out of a bag for him. And his daughter said, here. And he saw in her hands 25 get-well cards, hand-drawn for the present by Kim and her classmates, and topped by a note from the teacher. Will you make sure the president sees these? Helen sighed not wanting to waste precious time during Reagan's first session back by pushing some kindergarten's cards on him. Choosing his words carefully, he told Kim that he would take them to the president's briefing. Early the next morning, he carried the cards into the office, and true to his word, he stuffed them inside his own copy of the briefing folder. He had no intention of showing them, but he would keep his precise promise. Kim's card would indeed go into Reagan's national security session that day. As he ascended to the residence for his scheduled meeting, Allen felt better seeing only Nancy Reagan and Mike Deaver with the president, reducing the chances that anyone would note his bulging briefing folder. <laughs> it shows you how the national security and intelligence community treats this. They don't want to have any kind of per personal agenda where they can avoid this. Even something as simple as a bunch of kindergartners' cards. Good morning, Mr. President, he said, handing the reclining Reagan the primary copy of the PDB. Good morning, Reagan replied. His energy had rebounded quite a bit. His full strength and attention had not returned, however. Reagan glanced down at the briefing folder, paused, and opened it. Slowly, in just one of those presidential moments you probably don't get a lot of unless you're like a watcher of the, the West Wing TV show, <laughs> he looks at Alan and sighs. He clearly doesn't want to read anything this morning, Alan thought, so uh, we're done. Reaching across the president's body, he closed Reagan's folder and took it back, saying, 
Thank you very much, Mr. President. You've had your briefing for today. Reagan looked up and flashed one of his mischievous grins. <laughs> well, thanks, Dick. Allen returned the president's smile while slipping Reagan's book on top of his own, preparing to leave. He kind of is grabbing this really big set of bulky folders. Well, some of the get well cards slipped from his grasp as he stood up, and Reagan noticed and stopped him. What's that? Nothing, Mr. President. Reagan scowled. Dick, what is it? Realizing the president wasn't going to let this go, he replied, those are some cards that the kindergarten kids at Oak Ridge in Arlington made for you, sir. I promised that I would bring them with me. Let me see them. Alan sheepishly handed the cards to the president. He looked at them one by one, beaming as he made his way through the stack. After reading every card and then the teacher's note at the bottom, Reagan asked, so which one is your daughter's? It's in there somewhere, Mr. President. I'll tell her you asked about it. The scowl returned. Which one is your daughter's, Dick? Alan did not need to hear it a third time. He shuffled through the stack until he found Kim's card and then handed it to the president. Give me your pen. Alan watched as the president wrote, Dear Kim, forgive me for using your card for my answer, but I wanted to let you know how very much I appreciate your good wishes and your lovely card. Just one of those little moments that briefers have with the president. But it also shows you that it's not the goal of the agency to really try to influence very much. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. A little more to say about Reagan and uh, the PDB that we got from uh, David Priest's book. Again, I think we discussed it. I've discussed it on my podcast previously, but the statements of the briefers and national security advisors are really a window into his thinking and the reaction that they had is that reagan one uh briefer david kerr said reagan knew what he thought about everything now if you know what you think about something right you're not just out there kind of expressing a doubt or asking a question generally about what to do he had already knew what he thought about everything. That was the feeling of the briefer. That means he had already read and consumed the material the previous day or the day before. In terms of the format, he didn't make many changes. He got the same kind of PDB that Jimmy Carter got and that Gerald Ford got. Nothing unusual. More like Reader's Digest and War and Peace. A broad overview of everything going on. And kind of like a menu where... It's enough for the president to quickly read, and if they want more information, they can get it, and the entire behemoth of the intelligence community will make that happen. As to what Reagan was most interested in, you could see the beginnings of Cold War strategy. He wanted to hear about Soviet consumer frustration, economic difficulties, the leaders' plans for dealing with him around the world, the disposition of Soviet weapons, situation in Poland. He read avidly, caught typos. He also caught some factual errors. He filled in details and added little one-word questions to show that he understood or sometimes had a better, quicker way to phrase than the analyst did. 
You know, when hearing about a new Soviet weapon system, he said, breakthrough, question mark. So that's it. We got a great response to the David Priest and uh, interview. We're going to do some more interviews, uh, but I'm not going to abandon the normal format of the program either. I want to thank you for listening and thanks for subscribing to the premium podcast.